everyone. Welcome to the Them Before Us podcast. This is Jen Friesen, and I'm joined by a special guest. Katie Faust, ordinary guest, regular guest, <laughs> just what you would expect guest. Co-host extraordinaire, joint host. We are so excited to wrap up going through the book together. We are going to talk about chapter 10, join the movement. And I think you said in a previous episode, this was one of your favorite chapters to write because you were excited about all the um, the allies that you had and fellow advocates from around the world that you had collected. So there's a ton of quotes, which is really cool. But I'd love to start off with your first section of this chapter. And if you go back to episode one, you can hear the origin of them before us. Why did it start? But I don't remember how much we got into what are we hoping to accomplish? So Katie, just in your kind of elevator speech, what What's your big dream for them before us around the world? Um, it can be summed up in two words. That would be <laughs> global takeover. <laughs> that is what we're all about is like, we want to completely reorient the way people think and talk about marriage and family issues. And we want to invert how it's typically addressed, which is adult centric. What do adults want? How do they identify? What are their feelings and hopes and longings and losses and their dreams and their priorities? And we want to like right size how people talk about this by prioritizing the child. And we want to do that um, through conversations at coffee houses and litigation in courtrooms. Like we want it to be the way that people think about marriage and family issues in the personal and in the policy realm. So that is what we're after is we really want to transform the way these conversations take place ac across the globe in every country um, because children are the same everywhere. They have the same needs everywhere. It doesn't matter if you're living in, um, you know, Nairobi or um, I'm like thinking of an end state. Is it North Dakota? Right? <laughs> like all kids come from a man and woman. They all get their identity from that man and woman. Their development is maximized when they're raised by that man and woman. They are statistically the most likely to be safe and loved when they're raised by that man and woman. Like children are the same across the globe. They have the same needs. And they're under the same threats. So that's what we're after is global takeover. Right. Every uh, organization faces, you know, if we're passionate about one thing over here and this is our lane, you inevitably get questions of, well, if you really cared, you would also care about X, Y, Z lanes. And so you chat a little bit about pro-life organizations and there are people that are very passionate about the issue of trans gender ideology in schools and, and those things facing children, which you have something to say about, like in your, your Twitter, you talk about those things and you engage with those things. But as an organization, we kind of have a lane. What's, what do you, how would you kind of explain that to someone who was wondering about that? Well, I get off the couch whenever anything has to do with um, harming or damaging children. And unfortunately, it's hard to think of an area of policy these days or practice that does, that does not harm children. They are so at the bottom of the totem pole when you're looking at, um, my goodness, policy decisions, personal decisions. And so I personally am very, very passionate about what I think can be summed up in four different areas of child well-being, their life, their family, their mind, and their body. Um, but what we do at Them Before Us is we really focus on their family, right? Protecting children's rights to their mother and father because 
There are other organizations out there that are defending children's right to life, certainly against the abortion industry. We certainly are in on that fight when it comes to fighting for children's right to life in the baby making industry, not just the baby taking industry. Um, their mind, protecting children's mind from um, innocence violating sex ed curriculum or pornography or um, inappropriate sexualization through things things like drag queen story hour. Um, like children, their minds need to be protected. They have a right to innocence. And there's other good organizations that are doing that. And then obviously protecting children's bodies, I would say primarily from pseudoscientific transgender treatments that actually chemically sterilize them and surgically mutilate them would be the main way children's bodies are at risk. But also children's bodies need to play. Um, they need sports. They need, you know, they need sex segregated sports. They need protection in locker rooms and dressing rooms. I mean, like children's life, family, mind and body are so under assault right now. We have awesome allies that are working on a lot of these areas, but there really is no other organization that's defending children's family the way that we are in terms of looking at it from their right to their own mother and father. Thankfully, there's lots of organizations that are defending parental rights to their own children, and that's great for those kids. But it's not great for kids whose parents don't have that same level of protectiveness. So we um, we are looking at the children's right to their mother and father, protecting children's family in a way that nobody else is. And so that's really what we try to do at Them Before Us. That's our lane. That is the area where we really bring something to the table that none of these other organizations, even though they're doing awesome child protective work, are, are focusing on. Yeah. And we talk about in the book, in the, in the next part of the chapter, but we've touched on this a little bit in podcasts as well. Telling a better story is one way Them Before Us is really trying to change the game as well. We've talked about I was telling this to someone the other day. I feel like the conservative side of the argument has always had better data, better studies. We have better philosophy, but have we always told a better story? Maybe not. Or have we come, you know, have we been compelling enough in, uh, in like combining all these things together into a package that people can understand and really take well? And I think you would probably say we haven't done a good job of that. Yeah, I totally agree. I actually saw that, you know, in my early blogging years when I was first just writing about this, I thought, well, the data, the research, the logic, the common sense, the natural law, all of this is going to reign supreme because all of these things are going to be universally true. Um, and then, and yet it was the anecdotes, it was the personal stories, it was the lived experience that tended to be the thing that moved people and convinced people. And so it took me a while, but then I, I finally wised up and I'm like, oh, okay, two can play at that end. You want stories? I'll give you stories. We're going to find not just the most compelling stories, but the stories that tap into these universal human longings that are going to be resonate with so many more people and be totally undeniable. And so you see that as a hallmark in our work, like, Right now, I'm working on an article on artificial wombs that I'm going to hopefully submit to the Atlantic. We'll see. And I am like, how many stories can I fit in here? How many will they let me put in? Because it is when you hear from the children in their own words that you suddenly have a shift in your thinking. You switch from thinking, oh, these poor adults to I need to defend these kids. And that's the power of story. Right. That kind of goes well into the next part where you talk about needing to spotlight the true victims. And so, again, more on the more conservative or Christian side, a lot of time 
we adults have thought we were the victims, right? So government overreach or um, laws about abortion, but the real victims are us. You know, our religious freedom is going to get taken away or my other rights are getting taken away. And that was part of the reason, um, like in the book you've described why we lost these battles socially is because we weren't talking about who the real victims were. So that is exactly right. Um, and actually that's a great way to sort of vet through the news and, and have a lens with whatever you're reading is who are they centering as the victim here, right? Because then our sympathy is going to bend towards that person. So it's very, very important to properly identify the victims because there are people that deserve sympathy in this world. This we're, It's full of hardships. But when it comes to marriage and family, if the adults are framed as the victim, um, very often it's the children who then have to bend to what the adults want and what they're, you know, to fulfill their longings or their desires or whatever it is. And so at Them Before Us, we acknowledge that adults struggle, like struggling marriages. I've got several in my world right now, and I'm like, oh, massive amounts of empathy for them. My friends who are dealing with infertility and just the heartache that they experience, it's so real, it's so palpable, it's so constant. Um, my friends with same-sex attraction who genuinely have personally suffered in their lives in a variety of different ways, maybe in their own families, maybe through rejection or isolation. Um, like we can understand and empathize with the adults in these situations, but when we get these questions wrong, it is children who are the victims, not the adults. It is very, very important to always highlight that children are the true victims here. And we always recenter the story on the kids and the impact on the kids. And let's bring this back to the kids. Because when we allow our empathy to frame adults as the victims in these situations, it is always the kids who sacrifice. So, you know, kids can't speak for themselves. We're going to do our best to speak for them. That's really good. That's a good reminder, too, because keeping the true victim at the center of our thought process also helps us um we see the adults involved in these different practices maybe not as um we don't have to like hate and attack them for example so we had a, a kind of a trending story where it was um two women using a sperm donor and they had like this big fancy party like here we're going to choose our sperm donor all of our family and then before us we were commenting and a bunch of our advocates were commenting from the perspective of the child, this child's going to be intentionally fatherless, everything. I actually didn't even know that it was two women having a sperm donor party because I just didn't, it wasn't necessarily a big rainbow flag sort of thing. So then people inevitably start attacking the children's rights advocates as your homophobes, your bigots, et cetera. But really almost no one in the comments that was opposed to it was mad about the fact that they were women who identified as gay. They really kept coming back to, but it's intentionally making this child fatherless. People who would say, well, would you be mad if it was a man and a woman using a sperm donor? And people would respond, yes, because it's still, so it's helpful. Like you talk about in the book, hypocrisy kills our argument and our movement. So if we act like Democrats, progressives, gay people, they're the enemy and that's, we're attacking them and they're all the problems come from them. That's. A, it's inaccurate because that's not how it all started. And we talk about that in the book. And B, that's not helpful because it's not helping 
like you said, center around the true victims, the people who really pay the price. And a lot of times the adults who are making those choices for they're single and I'm going to use a sperm donor or they're, they want to get a divorce. They're a byproduct as well of the parents and the adults and the choices that came before them. They were at one point, a child, like we're talking about, that was a victim of all these same things. So talk to us a little bit about how we can make sure we're not being hypocritical in how we approach and defend the rights of children. I was at a meeting a couple of months ago where, um, we were talking about the importance of mothers and fathers. And, um, you know, somebody in the room was saying, well, I think we need to just say two parent homes. Like kids need to be raised by two parents. And I said, well, you can say that, but that's the cowardly way to go because it's not just a two parent home. It's a, a home with the child's own mother and father who are married to each other. That is what maximizes outcomes. And I said, you need to use child centric language. And so then as we were continuing the discussion, you know, people were saying, well, but, I mean, I think that the research hasn't it said that two gay dads are the same or two, you know, moms that there's no difference. And I was like, there is a difference. And here's the deal. Um, and people are like, well, aren't, doesn't that mean that we're targeting the gays if we talk that way? And I said, here's the good news. When you advocate for children's rights to their mother and father, you get to condemn everybody. <laughs> I mean, like, I know that sounds harsh, but like, do you understand that nobody escapes judgment here. I mean, numerically, the biggest threat to children is heterosexual couples who are living together. Mm. The biggest legal threat that got all of this started was no-fault divorce, right? The greatest technological threat that got all this started was IVF, which originally was for heterosexual couples. So like when you actually take this child-centric perspective, you can't blame just one group of people. The blame is shifted and spread out across all adult groups because at some point all adult groups have victimized kids. Now that works sort of in our advantage because we get to be logically consistent. However, it works against us because at some point you're gonna run into some adult self-interest and they're gonna put the brakes on because they'll say, well, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. But now you're touching my life and you're making demands of me and you're insisting that I do hard things and you don't understand how I've suffered. Right. And so that's the thing is like, I think for too long, the marriage and family movement has allowed for little carve outs for their people or for their issues. And we're not doing that here. Like we're insisting that all adults sacrifice for all kids. And that means that even a lot of people sort of on our side are going to be upset about what we're saying but it does mean that we can build a killer coalition with a lot of people that you would not normally find fighting shoulder to shoulder. Right. And that's probably a piece of why we've had such success globally as you've traveled and spoken with different people all over the world, whether that's a podcast internationally or gotten to travel and meet with people. It's resonating with people around the world, especially because um, people are talking about how there's been sort of a cultural colonization happening from the west there's people that are you know people in the u.s government or the west western governments that are tying their financial aid to countries to whether or not they're going to make same-sex marriage a thing which is kind of crazy when you think about it even from a more progressive you know if you think colonization is a bad thing and that you know one culture should not go and dominate tell another culture what to do um that's what's happening right now in the social sphere of things and so it's been really neat to see them before us's message resonate because we're giving the tools 
that a country that has not gone that far yet can use. We're saying, look at what happened to our country, learn from how we did not win this debate and speak about it in this way. And then I feel like you're helping inoculate a lot of the countries against those accusations of this is just about religion or you're a bigot or a homophobia. Can you speak a little bit, maybe even just give us some of your experience around the world and why, yeah, why do you think it's resonating globally? Well, it resonates globally because children are the same everywhere, right? So we don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to these child-centric realities. Um, but I will tell you, like the the example that comes to my mind first is um, I was contacted by one of our allies who said, we've got this couple in Albania, um, Pastor Akil and his wife, Linda Pano. And they are just absolute rock stars. But you know, the family redefinition machine came to Albania, which is one of the last countries to come out of um, communist oppression. And they were brutally oppressed. I mean, and they are still one of the poorest countries in Europe. And yet all of these well-moneyed um, international organizations from the West roll into these teeny countries and then just start to remake their family law. So that's what was going on. You had these proposals to legalize same-sex adoption, to replace mother and father on all of their documents to parent one, parent two, to like lay the foundation for redefining marriage. And it was just this, this one couple, you know, who said, no, like we have to stand up against this. And, um, you know, they, they took a typical tact at first, which was using biblical reasoning to say, no, this isn't good. There's, it's a Muslim majority country. And so they were able to, you know, some of the imams were speaking up using religious reasoning um, from their tradition about why this should not happen. And um, I was able to consult with them and say, the problem with doing that, the problem with saying like, this is a problem because it's sinful is now you are starting to say, you, you feed into the family redefinition narrative, which is the adults are the victims. You're making it sound like these adults are victims because you're calling them sinners or you're calling them transgressors or whatever it is. You need to take the focus off the adults and put it on the children. You need to have a child-centric message. You need to focus on the social science, the harms. Here are some stories. Translate them into Albania. Mm -hmm. Share them with your followers. Spread them to the imams. Have the imams start to adopt this child-centric language so that it's not so much focused on those are bad adults, but we are pro-child. And then it's interesting. I was able to fly over there and they put together a conference Um the first time that both political parties, it was a national conference, both political parties were there, people from the Orthodox community, the Christian community, um, well, the Protestant community and the Muslim community were there. Um, the president spoke, I, I spoke first, the president spoke right after me. We met with the president um, and it was all this child centric language. We are here to protect Albania's children. And within a week, they had dropped all of their efforts to seek to redefine the family. Like it says mother and father on their parenting, um, in all their parenting law today, because they adopted this child-centric language. So it was absolutely a win, a very dramatic win. And I think it shows the power of having this child-centric messaging, which as you can see, is something that Muslims and Christians can agree on because it, because both of those religions understand the importance of married mothers and fathers. Right. And it's interesting, too, because we've talked about this at like in our divorce chapter, for example, in our marriage chapter, the the basis for flourishing, like 
you take it to the microcosm is like the family, right? So within one household, if a mom and a dad, a man and a woman get married and then have children and they both finished high school and they have a job, you're, it's like 90 something percent chance of not being in poverty. Now think about that in uh, a developing nation. So where we just can go out and it's like, we've got running water. I've got water right in my house. I've got 50 grocery stores within 50 miles, you know, gas, easy to get my car, laptop, phone, you know, all this technology and wealth. And now you transfer these ideas into a country that's developing and the kind of those social movements that are trying to redefine all this are cutting them off at the knees. So they're not going to get the chance. Go ahead. No, that's exactly right. And you know, the big concern in Albania is domestic abuse. That is one of their chief problems that they have in the realm of marriage and family and undoing marriage feeds into that problem, right? So not every country is struggling with the same thing, but for them, domestic abuse was a big deal. And I said, well, you're going to have to look at the statistics of who abuses who. Statistically, women and children are the safest in the home when they are married to the child's own biological father. Not all the time, but Take a look at how that goes when stepfather joins the family or a live-in boyfriend joins the family. That is where you're going to see skyrocketing rates of domestic abuse. So if you genuinely want to address domestic abuse, you need to not just resist these family redefinition efforts. You need to double down on exalting marriage and incentivizing marriage. And like you said, Jen, um, it is a, especially when it comes to wealth, marriage is a wealth generating institution what you just cited is called the success sequence. It's very well known. First graduate high school, then get married and then have children. It has to happen in that order. But if you do it, 97% of millennials escape poverty. Like it is a poverty eradication formula for adults and for kids. Yeah, it's amazing. listening to the Them Before Us podcast. Make sure you head over to thembeforeus.com to find us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, donate, and more. Thanks for joining the movement. So if someone's listening and they are from outside of the United States, we still there's still a place for you. Whether that's maybe you can offer translation services. So we have the website translated into 10 languages, I believe. And we have an easy way to like snap our fingers and get it translated into the proper language, but we need native speakers to help edit and make sure it actually sounds right. You know, cause Google translate can't do everything perfectly. So that's a way people can help. That's the only thing holding us back from checking every single box to translate it into every single language. You know, we need people who actually can help make sure it's correctly communicating the ideas into the, into the language. And we've got our book translated and published in five different languages, I think another one or two on the way. And that that's a little more involved. That requires, you know, getting rights to the book in that language and getting a publisher in that country. But, you know, if someone's listening to this and they have connections to a country or publishing or, you know, someone who does, that's a huge way people around the world can get involved. Another way is... Um... You can start a children's first campaign in your state, in your country, especially if the family redefinition machine has not come to your door yet, it will. And we actually have um, pathways, like proactive pathways for you to start to prepare 
to fight back against some of the legal, cultural, and technological assaults that are going to be arriving at your doorstep. So you can definitely reach out to us if you're in a position to give some time and energy to this, if you're passionate about this cause, um, like introduce yourself. Like we would love to fortify and equip you. All right. So we'll talk about who the us is in them before us. Who are the people who make up this coalition? I love that you're, you've been chatting about that already, but we want to be an organization where regardless of how an adult identifies who they're attracted to, regardless of religion, regardless of country, creed, ethnicity, that if you, we, you can stack hands with us on this idea that children's rights have to come before just the things we want, then you get to be a part of it. So it's big tent. Like people talk about that. You know, you want to have a big tent. It's like, yes, it's a big tent. We just have to agree on to put children first. And I love some of the uh, some of the quotes you have here in the book, but I'll start with this one. Uh, the book says, so the job of defending children becomes the job of ordinary people, courageous types with the fortitude to voice unpopular opinions, an attribute that most politicians, media figures, business leaders, and celebrities sorely lack. I'll give some examples. So a Muslim seminary student in Iran simply states, I support children's rights because I am morally responsible for helping the helpless. Another supporter explains, I'm a children's rights supporter because of, as a parent, a Christian, a licensed therapist, and a child welfare professional, I'm deeply troubled by the commodification of children all across the globe. A gay man in Ireland who champions traditional marriage discloses, I realized that because I won't have children of my own, I had a moral duty to stand up for all children, especially the most vulnerable. Children are powerless and adults have the responsibility not to put their own wishes before children. And I'll finish with this one. An adoptee who became a mother through birth and also through adoption shares. I support children's rights because I needed an adult to stand in the gap for me when I was in foster care. So can you share a little bit who you kind of see as the us and them before us and who, what your hopes are for the future? I love those quotes. And I know a couple of those people personally, I mean, that I've met through this work and like, literally we have the best people. I mean, like just the highest quality people who are willing to, I mean, I know that I know, especially a couple of those guys that you just listed who are willing to lose friends over this and have, and have been targeted because they will not bend, even though, you know, the, the guy in um the gay guy is my friend Patty Manning in in Ireland and he is such a he's such a champion for kids um and he's it's he's paid for it you know but it's like that's kind of who children have right now children have you and they have me and there are a few politicians who have the stones to do this um but not many not many most of them are going to bend with the crowd most of them are going to elevate their social acceptance above the well-being of kids even though they have the social power to the, the legislative or political power to do something about it and so what's left is just ordinary people and the good news is like ordinary people can really get something done and most of what we've been able to accomplish the minds that we've changed is through ordinary people i mean i even the example that you gave earlier of that Instagram reel of the sperm donor reveal. And, you know, you commented on it through our official channel. And then all of the people that have been consuming these stories of kids that we're putting out, consuming our content, understanding that children have to come first. They are like, 
mm -mm, you're going to go through me. You have to go through me. And that's amazing. I mean, that really is when you see that army of ordinary people with ordinary accounts who are saying, no, you don't get to violate the rights of the child just because you want something. I mean, honestly, that is how you transform a culture. Right. It's been really neat. I've heard from a few different friends who've been either they read the book or looked at the fast facts sheets that break the chapters down uh, really nicely on the website or have been listening to the podcast and then sharing personal interactions they have with their friends and family, people in their sphere of influence. And so it's really awesome because we're getting it. people, like you said, it's ordinary people who are taking the information and now they just have been considering the ethical questions and they care about the person they're interacting with, but they have the ethical questions in their head now. And so now they have some tools to push back, not in a, um, you know, you're a terrible person because I listen to this podcast. Now I know you're horrible. No, but they're just like, oh, okay. You're considering being a surrogate or something. Well, did you, have you heard about these health risks or, do you still want to have kids of your own? Because that's actually this really potentially very dangerous thing. You might never be able to have kids again after you do that or whatever. Now they can present those questions and some pushback in a way they couldn't before because we just hadn't considered and thought through all these things before. Yeah, so. that's definitely what we hear the most from our followers is I cannot unsee it. Now that I see that children have a right to their mother and father, now that I know the harms that come from it, now I can't not see when the Instagram reel or the headline just totally focuses on the adults. You know, wow, look at all these celebrity couples and how they're bringing in these surrogates. Oh, look at this, you know, celebrity divorce that's taking place. Or they're like, why do they never talk about the children? They never talk about the children. And that's exactly right. That's exactly how you need to think. And that's exactly how our followers and supporters operate because they understand that they've got to put them before us and they're starting to do it everywhere. So if we, if people are listening and thinking, okay, but practically speaking, what should I do? Is it just listen to the podcast and have a conversation? Well, that's part of it. That's awesome. What are the other things people can do to get involved? And, you know, is it, just, you know, you have to be able to donate a million dollars or don't talk to us or, you know, just from the grassroots all the way up to the big things, what would you say is like the ways to get involved? You should totally donate a million dollars. We have so much, so many opportunities. We are going to, in the next, uh, we're going to put our projects up on the website soon that we are knee deep in planning on. We have, the only thing that we lack right now is manpower. That's what we need. We need to hire people to do all of the things we are being asked to do. But if you don't have a million dollars, you can give us five, which also would be great. Or you definitely should subscribe to the newsletter because there's so much coming up. There's so many things that are coming up. And especially if you're listening to this in 2025, there's so many things that um, have taken place that that we already have available for you to get in on and more coming um, down the line. So just stay connected to us, I think is the number one thing. And you do that best through subscribing. Um, we don't spam you. Like it's a once a week newsletter that we pack full of everything that we have going on. Um, the other thing is get on social media with us. Like I know everybody says that, but this really is the way to consume 
and then send out good information about kids in a really accessible way. Um, you send us things like when you see stories or things that concern you or whatever, people are always sending us new stories and we love it. Um, or stories of kids, like they'll say, Hey, you know, I, I saw this on Reddit or whatever. It totally relates to what you're doing. That kind of thing is really helpful too. Um, so we just, we just want to be connected to you. And, and the best way to do that is through the newsletter, then social media. Um, but subscribe because this is, we are, we are going to take over the globe. I'm not kidding. We are going to have a global takeover and you should get in on it. Right. Yeah. That's the exciting thing is that people maybe don't realize that you can change people's minds by sharing a post on something or adding a comment, like a respectful, thoughtful critique of something that you see. You don't know who sees that and who might, you know, consider that differently because of that comment. Or it, it's helpful when people are able to go back and forth in the comments or share different things. And I was going to say too, um, I personally always read the comments. Like if I see something, I'm most interested in what are people saying and how are they responding? Yeah. I, especially on an issue that I'm not that familiar with. Like I've been, I was like listening to some podcasts on nuclear energy and I have a lot to learn there. Yeah. And I learn a lot from listening to somebody object and then somebody rebut. Yeah. So be that person. I've loved it when, like you said, people will share us things. People have been sharing some of the sweetest, like dad or mom or parenting specific videos. And I love those too, because they're super positive, right? It's not always just, we don't want it to be all the stuff we're against. Ultimately, it's because we're for the rights of children and we're for the way a mom mothers and for the way a father fathers and how a mom and a dad love each other and love their children. Those are really fun ones to highlight. So I, in particular, love it when people share those to me. We talked about the newsletter. We have a Facebook advocate group. So that's kind of for people who want to be the first ones to hear about. We want to roll out training and maybe create like an ambassador program or things like that. So that's kind of that first wave. That's a thing you can join if you're on Facebook. All right, Katie, so they can go to thembeforeus.com, see everything that we have going on, and they can sign up to hear more. Any final words for people who want to join the movement? Um, I love you, like literally. I feel like everybody that I mess get messages from or see on social media that is willing to stand up and defend kids, like it's just, it fills me like, and it inspires me. Um, so that's fantastic. Um, I'm so glad that you're on this journey with us, that you're on board, that you're willing to sacrifice for the sake of kids. It's, it's almost like, I don't want to like overstate this, but it's hard not to. This is a civilizational matter. This really does have to do with, will our civilization survive, thrive, continue, if we are not able to advocate on behalf of the least of these, when it comes to their fundamental rights, we really may not have a society to preserve and to continue. Um, and it, and it may, it's probably not going to be a society we would want to live in if it does. So we are now at the point with our culture, our law, and our technology, where we have to be very serious about what it means to be human, who children are, what they need, and then understand our obligations to protect and defend them in our personal life and in the policy world. And so really your support, your engagement, 
um, it is it is a matter of whether or not our nation and any nation is going to be able to survive and flourish. So thank you for getting in on this with us. Um, protecting the individual child really does um, have implications for all of society. And so we're just grateful that you're willing to defend them with us. That's great. You can't say it better than that. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining us today. Thank you all for listening. And instead of saying join the movement today, I'll sign off by saying thanks for joining the Global Takeover. Whether you are religious or irreligious, whether you are single, married, gay, or straight, if you are defending the rights of children, you are one of us. Thanks for joining this global movement to put them, the children, before us, the adults.